From Pain to Purpose is a show that will bring inspiration, love, and healing to your lives. It's a show that will teach you that your trials and tribulations in life is only temporary and that it's only preparing you for your greatest calling. A show that will give you the courage to share your story with the world and not care what others may think or say. For your story is the key that will unlock someone else's prison. What was meant to kill you, God used it to prosper, restore, and strengthen you. To always remember that without pain, your purpose cannot be fulfilled into the power that God has ordained you to walk in. From Pain to Purpose by Aisha Monique. Stay tuned. Speak your truth. Hello and welcome to From Pain to Purpose. I'm your host, Aisha Monique. And today on the show, we have Miss Letitia Morris. Letitia Morris has faced many obstacles throughout her life. And these obstacles have brought out who she truly is. An overcomer, a woman of strength, courage, and faith. Welcome to the show, Letitia. Hello. Hello. Tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Letitia Morris, as you stated. I am from Savannah, Georgia. Um, I was raised on the west side of Savannah primarily. My childhood was no walk in the park. Okay. Um, but from there... Now that I'm older, I'm able to help and encourage a lot of women, children, and pretty much people in general. Okay, awesome. So where did your um, first obstacle begin? My first obstacle, I would say, would be molestation. At an early age, I want to say as far back as I can remember, I believe I was around seven or eight. Um, and I lived with my grandmother and it was actually family members. Um, and back then when it was happening to me being molested, um, being told to do this sexually to men, you know, of, of the opposite sex, I was young. I did it. As I got older, I realized, you know, something is wrong with this. This is just not okay. okay. I was not able to tell my mother at the time because my mother, she was she was a workaholic. My mom always kept a job. So it was primarily my grandmother raising us. And I felt like if I did say something that no one would believe me. So mm. it left me to where I just was just like, whatever. I just tried to block it out. Mm. Um, going forward, even in that, later on, I want to say when I was around 10 or 11, even after molestation, and that is something that I just dealt with maybe three years ago with my mom, she just found out. Like, I just wow. told her, me and her had a disagreement about two or three years ago. Mm. And it's crazy how you never really get over something. You think you can push it under the rug, but mm. don't. It's best to just speak up. Because we were in an argument, and it had absolutely nothing to do with that. And I was just like, you know what? You just could not love me. You should have known. And she was, like, blown. She, she honestly had no idea okay. you know and after everything calmed down with that argument you know she told me I didn't know we talked about it and she apologized so now with the molestation part and I'm, I'm gonna stop there for a second mm -hmm. it's a real serious situation because I have girls myself I have three girls okay. so in that I tried to talk to the youth about that you know when my girls when I first got married to my husband I expressed to him what happened to me and I was really you know, serious about that to the point to where it almost could have hindered my marriage because here I am overprotective over my girls. Mm -hmm. And I used to always tell my girls, hey, this is what you have and it is not okay for nobody to touch you there. If somebody touch you there, you let mom know. If you can't tell me, tell somebody else. Okay. Tell your grandmother. 
tell your dad, mom, mm-hmm. tell somebody. If you don't feel comfortable telling me. So, you know, with kids, I try to encourage parents, women, men, it doesn't matter what sex they are. Mm-hmm. What says in this what what's done in this house does not stay in this house. Mm-hmm. It is so important to let kids understand that so that they can express what's happening to them. You know, if they can't, if they feel like they can't come to you, they can go to someone and designate that certain person who you want them to go to. If you can't tell me, tell your grandmother or tell your aunt or tell your uncle, but they need to be able to express what happened to them or what's happening to them to someone. So, um, that, that, that's what happened with that. That's very deep. And after the molestation, you know, because I know when you and I talk, you say you've experienced many obstacles. After the molestation, what else in your life has happened to you? After that, that, I was in school. I was the most picked on child in Chatham County, you guys. Oh my gosh. It was horrible. Um, First of all, my grandmother had a really, really old house in West Savannah. Mm-hmm. And my mom and dad weren't together. My dad was the type of dad to where, you know, if he got it, we got it. But oh. if he don't got it, we don't see him. And that just was our relationship. And my mom worked a lot to try to take care of us. But at the time, my mom, um, she was on alcohol and she was on drugs herself. She had a lot of death in the family. And she was just going through a lot within her. Mm-hmm. Um, which left me the oldest to, you know, help my grandmama and help my mom, of course, with my siblings. Because I'm the oldest. Mm-hmm. So with that and being in school at an early age, I just got picked on. And it was really, I would go home crying and you try to, you know, put on the face that, hey, I'm a mm-hmm. I'm a soldier. Like, this does not bother me. But it really did affect me as a little girl. I felt like nobody loved me. I felt like, you know, I was ugly. I felt like I would never amount to anything. I just thought, you know, my life was just horrible. And it came to a point to where, you know, at a certain time, it's just like, I don't even want to live no more. Like, it, it, I, I became suicidal. It was just like, what's the point? You know, my grandma's house, we had rats, roaches. And when the first day of school, everybody else have nice clothes and we got to wear shacks. And we just could not have what everybody else had. So even though your mom worked a lot, even though my mom worked a lot, my mom was always working, it seemed like. Um, but we just did not have what everybody else had as far as material things. We yeah. always had a home, but we did not have what everybody else had. So um, they used to call me Roach. Mm-hmm. That's what they call me. The Why? teachers would walk out the room because I, I don't I, I don't even remember where it started at. I was Roach. I had a nose like a horse. Like it was just horrible. Mm-hmm. So um, that followed me throughout my middle school year. Well, my going into middle school, um, I then jumped out of my grandmama two story window. <laughs> I was like, I'm tired of this. I don't want to stay here anymore. So I jumped out the window. That me jumping out the window was not to kill myself in that instance. I just wanted to be gone, and I knew that if I did that, the social workers would come. Oh wow! So I knew, even as a child, <laughs> I knew what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So after that happened, after I jumped, that they did come, okay, and they took us. To my surprise, you know, I I was young. I didn't know that when they took us, we weren't going to be together. I didn't know the obstacles of what that detail. You know, all I knew is we're going to have a nice home. We're going to have nice clothes. You know, somebody is going to pay attention to us. And when they took us, my they put us in Greenbrier. And when they put us in Greenbrier, my youngest 
um, brother, a set of twins. He was crying on the other side, and all I remember is me running over to get him because I'm, I'm always taking care of them, so that's what I'm not to do. But in Greenbrier, the girls is on one side and the boys is on another side. Okay. So I couldn't do that, but when I went and got him... They put me in a straitjacket because I was acting up. Like, y'all going to give me my brother. Like, this is not y'all are going to give him to me. So they put me in a straitjacket and they sent me to Coastal Harbor Mental Institution. Wow. Yeah. And when I went there, I was like, yeah, they real life crazy in here. Like, I'm not crazy. I remember one girl trying to beat me with the, the, the radio stenching cord. And y'all, I was so scared. I was like, oh, my God. Like, this is really crazy. And when she tried to do that, I um, I was just like, you know what? I just got to act crazy so they'll put me in a room by myself. So mm-hmm. they put me in this padded room, no lie. Mm-hmm. And I was there for about two days by myself. Those people did not come. They did not feed me. They did, they did not make sure that I had a bath or anything. And I am still a child. And how old were you? I may have been... I want to say 10 or 11. Wow. I was 10 or 11. Wow. Mm-hmm. And you were smart. Yeah. <laughs> I was 10 or 11 when they took me there. Eventually, they released me. I got back with my siblings, and they put us in um, this lady house, and she took care of us from there. Okay. Um, when they finally released us, my mom had to do some repairs and stuff to my grandmother's house, of course. And when they released us back, I said I didn't want to go back with my mom. I wanted to go stay with my dad. My dad was in Richmond Hill. So I went and stayed with him. Long story short, um, I was looking for love in all the wrong places. I went to the fair one year and met this guy. And, you know, he told me everything that no one ever told me. You're beautiful. I love you. This, that, and the third. And it's, you know, he loves me. This is it. This I have. This is it. And um, I made an excuse. I don't know what it was. I stayed with my dad for about a year. And... During that period of me staying with my dad, it was this girl. She took me to church with her, and that's how I first started going to church. I got baptized. You know, I was I was doing right. I was, you know, to my best ability yeah. as a child. You know, it was something new for me, so I was excited about it. This was before the fair. I was excited about it. I was like, you know, I was doing everything right, praying at night and things of that nature. I went to this church, and this man, he, I don't know if y'all know about um, apostolic ministries. Yeah. Um, I went and he prophesied to me. He said, if you don't stay, you know, committed to Christ, you're going to have children at an early age and you need to, you know, give your life to Christ. No lies. It is a cult. Something is wrong with these people. This man is crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm not even having sex, sir. So, you know, yeah. never having no one to explain what it was to me. It scared me. So mm-hmm. I kind of backed all the way up from there. I was like, you know, you guys are crazy. Like, yeah, I'm not going back. Yeah. I went to the fair, met this guy, made a reason to move back with my mom because the guy was in Savannah. My mom was in Savannah. So moved back with my mom. My very first time having sex, I got pregnant at 13 years old. And this was after the uh, prophet. After he told me that. This was after he told me that. Mm. And I, as a child, I didn't think about what he said at all. It, it, it left me. I was no longer mm. in that space. I was done with God. I was done. They all was mm. crazy. And you say you were 13. 13. Wow. I was 13 when I got pregnant with my oldest son. Wow. I was 13 years old. Um, I got pregnant. He, I got pregnant. I don't think I told my mom until I was like three or four months. Mm-hmm. She didn't even notice. I think I was throwing up and I didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I just thought I had sex for the first time. You know, I'm fine. I didn't That's even. That's a side effect. 
that yeah i just thought you know something was strange about that i just didn't know that i was pregnant it never even crossed my mind it was nothing that i said oh my god let me go have a baby or anything like that i just got pregnant so when i got pregnant um after my mom found out um she was just like okay you're pregnant and my grandmother told me she was just like you cannot get rid of this baby i just remember her and she was my great great grandmother she was like you 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 cannot kill this baby mm-hmm. that's not an option for us so in my mind you know what she said was gold mm-hmm. i'm not getting rid of this baby okay. so at then i came to terms with it and my oldest son's father i did not know that he for one already had a baby mm-hmm. he was only two years older than me two when I had my son, I was in the hospital with my son giving birth, and it was a girl two doors down from me that was in the hospital having his baby. Wow. Third baby. She came into my room, and she said, um, you're not down here with your daughter, but you're down here with her. He jumped on her and went to jail. I was devastated. I was heartbroken. I was I was done, you know, but I've always been the type of person that when I'm done with you, I'm done with you. So after that, you know, he tried to come around. I'm just like, I cannot believe you. You know, I, I, I trusted you. I just cannot believe that. Six weeks after my son got out of the hospital, it was five months before I saw him again. When I saw him again, I was in a store and he asked me, he said, how's my son doing? I did not even recognize him. I was not even playing. I was just like, excuse me? He was just like, how's my son? I was like, oh, okay. How did you not recognize him? I don't know. I just, I block. I'm a master. I was a master at just blocking stuff out. You know, it was me. It was my son. And that was it. Okay. Because the situation, I was just, I was heartbroken. You know, I thought that you loved me. I was heartbroken. I was back to square one, like, oh, my God. But even in that moment when I gave birth to my son, I said, he did not ask to be here. Mm -hmm. He will not grow up the way I did. Not so much as the material things, but just a foundation, moral support, communication, being able to express to me and the things that my grandmother did instill in me. So that was my main. It was never Jordans or nothing like that. But it was more so of I wanted to provide a better life for him. After that, I got pregnant with my daughter. I was in high school. Me and my best friend, I got pregnant with my daughter at 15. Had her at 15. Um, Fast forward, got pregnant again at 16. Had her at 17. Um, After I had her, my kid's father, my daughter, my oldest son's father, um, not my oldest son, my oldest daughter's father, His parents were heaven sent, Mm -hmm. even now. I am not the baby mama that, oh, my God, y'all can't know. Here y'all go, you know. So (laughs) during that period, um, I went through a lot, and his story is not mine to tell, but Mm -hmm. he is not in the picture right now. Mm -hmm. Um, He's incarcerated. Mm -hmm. But during that time, we were homeless. Um, I remember washing my baby girl in the Popeye sink um, to drop her off to her grandmother. They were always okay, but I wasn't. Okay. Um, I have robbed places mm-hmm. to provide for them. Mm-hmm. You know, thank God I have never been caught. I have never been convicted. You know, even back then, God was really watching over yes. me because, you guys, I could have been behind bars. And I was always the type of person to adapt 
to wherever I was. So no one ever even suspected me at all. Even when, you know, the different things happened, I was the first person released. Like, oh, no, you guys, we know she didn't do it. You mm -hmm. can go home. Okay. When all along, it was me. Yes. So I have always been that person to adapt to wherever I am. I can blend in in any crowd. Mm -hmm. I can be that person. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even after that, after he got incarcerated, it was a wake-up call. It was like, you know, oh, my God, it is really time for me to try to do better and get myself together. I said, this is not the life that I wanted for my kids. And although they had a great support system, I had a whole village. My grandmother, my mom, their grandparents, their aunts and uncles, they never went without, you know. So... I was always blessed in that area for them because I can always call on those people. But me as a person, I was broken. I was lost. And I felt like statistics said I would end up in the projects. And that's where I was going to be for the rest of my life. But I just kept saying in my mind, I don't care what I have to do. Mm -hmm. Even in high school, um, I dropped out of high school. I got a job at Waffle House. I was I was trying to do both. Mm -hmm. But it came to a point to where it was so overwhelming. I just left school alone and I was working. Um, I had my own apartment at 15. My oh. grandmother got it in her name in Chatham City. Mm -hmm. So since 15, I've been out of my mom's house. And... Um, got behind on the rent for whatever reason and that's the period of time I was homeless I was living in and out of a hotel and then after my kid's father got arrested then I got a roommate with his sister mm -hmm. come to find out his sister and me was roommates and another lady who was my manager and her and my baby daddy was having an affair all the time the manager the manager mm -hmm. that I was roommate with my current baby daddy now I've told you everything that has happened yeah. So after that point, I was done with you too because, you know, cheating, if that, that was something that I was never going to go for. Like, mm -hmm. we're done. Like, I cannot believe you. Did um, the sister know about it? The sister did not know she about it. Know Nobody knew about it. And even in, in his family, is heaven sent. I love all of them even now. His youngest brother, real life, um, we were, they were him and the girl was in a house one day and I didn't know that they were in the house and I was getting off the bus going I was pregnant with my third child and it, it didn't even hit me then because she was both of our managers and she was older way older than us and she gave him a ride sometimes so they were in the house and his younger brother was at the door and I was pregnant and he was just like he looked spooked when he saw me mm -hmm. And I was like, what's wrong with you? Like, you, you okay? And he was just like, um, come on, let's go, let's go. I just got here too. And I was just like, no, we definitely going in the house. Yeah. We're going in the house. So they were both on the couch and they were asleep. And when I saw them sleep on the couch, I immediately jumped on him. Like, I wasn't paying her no attention. I immediately jumped on him, pregnant and all. Because my problem is not with you, it's with him. Mm -hmm. And she's nothing is going on, and nothing is going on. And she kept pushing, she kept pushing. I jumped on her. She called her sister. The police came. They didn't take me to jail because, you know, I'm pregnant, one. Mm -hmm. I'm young, two. And I'm playing victim. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I just got here and everybody's acting crazy. So that happened. But um, after he got incarcerated, um, my, um, me and my husband now, we were friends in high school. We never dated in high school. He was never my type. I was like, you're from the suburbs. I'm from the hood. This is yeah. not going to work. Like... Yeah, that's how I felt about him then. Yeah. It's like, you're a pretty boy, you know, you're the jock, and I'm 
no, this is not going to work. But we were really good friends. He would call me, you know, for advice. He would call, check on me, see how I'm doing after my kid's father got locked up. And we stopped talking for a while. And then um, I saw him at a gas station one day and he gave me his number. And when he gave me his number, I didn't call him for a while for a long time and he started coming around and he was just like hey let's go see a movie and I went to see a movie and I was like you know what's wrong with you like are you a child molester a woman beater <laughs> like I got three kids dude like what you want like leave me alone but he never left me alone he was just like super glue like I could not shake him you know and I had sex before marriage even then with him because he was in church but you guys, I was the pure D devil, like real life. I was just like, you know what? I don't care about that. You know, I forced myself. It's like, this is what we're going to do, you know. And he was just like, no, no, no. And I was just like, yes, yes, this is what we're going to do. But um, even through that, it was something about him. He was, he had this way about him. And, you know, now that I'm older, I know it was the God in him. But I felt guilty when I used to do bad when I used to smoke weed and drink and come around him I used to feel so ashamed like oh my god like he would never know because I do the vibes yeah. you know I clean myself <laughs> up so I would never do it in front of him you know not to say he was just you know so that holy but I just felt weird of doing it around him he just made me feel different and we started dating um we started dating and eventually I pushed him away I was just like no I do not want to date you something I have three kids like this is just not gonna use it's too good to be true like you're not about to marry me and beat me up like you're not about to beat me because I will beat you back like and everything that I went through and I explained it he was just like no and then one day um, I was buying furniture for my home and I walked into a store that was right where I lived. And as I walked in, the man said, Hey, I've been waiting on you. And I said, huh? He said, I've been waiting on you. And I said, okay. He said, you don't remember me? I said, no, sir, I don't. And his wife was sitting right next to him. He said, I remember you when you was a little girl. I told you if you didn't keep your relationship with Christ, you would have babies step by step by step. And I walked in with my three kids and they were step. By step, by step, I automatically said, I knew you was a cult. You spoke this curse on me, and y'all crazy. <laughs> and I left. <laughs> and I left. I was like, y'all are crazy. I knew it. Like, I knew it, and I left. But they reached out to me, mm-hmm. and they explained prophecy. They uh-huh. explained the word. They explained the spirit. They explained it and broke it down to okay. me. His wife did. Okay. And although I still was not on that because I was living my best, the world owes me absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. I lived my best life before I was even legally able to do it. But, you know, he was telling me, he was just like, no, you need to get yourself together. And they took me in like a daughter, you guys. Like, they really did. They took me in. They long suffered with me because I was hard-headed. I was Mm -hmm. just like, no, I don't want it. Like, no, that's Mm -hmm. just not it. Um, They sold me a car. Mm -hmm. Um... One time, they sold me an Acura. was my very first car. Mm-hmm. I got my income tax, and they sold it to me for like $1,000. The car was worth at least $6,000. Wow. It was a beautiful car. Nice. So, you know, I'm feeling myself. I'm in this nice Acura, and I'm riding, and, you know. And it was the pastor and first lady who blessed me with yes. it. But I wasn't thinking about it. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm done with y'all. I got this car, mm-hmm. and I'm good. So, I would go to church every now and again, and the pastor used to say, you know, you need to come to church. That's God's call. You need to come to mm-hmm. church. And one day, I had a wheel blow out, and the whole car messed up. Mm. The whole the whole car. Wow. the whole. And I had to call him because they were paying the insurance. Mm-hmm. 
So when I called them um, shortly after that, you guys, I was just in a very dark place. I stopped talking to my Deontay, who is my husband now. Um, he would call my job, try to reach me. I just don't want to be bothered by nobody. I just want to be left alone. I was taking care of my kids. I was drinking, smoking. I just didn't want to be bothered. So um, when I started, well, I went to church. And that day, I was just like, you know, I will not go to church 365 days and play church. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just not about to do it. Whatever I do, I'm 100% at it, you yes, know. Yes. It's just, it, it's it's a waste of my time to even play, you know, with people like that. Because mm-hmm. people are really looking up, people are looking up to us as yeah. older people. They really watch us. Kids watch us. And they're the next generation. Mm-hmm. So I made that up in my mind. And when I made that up in my mind, I was just like, okay, I'm really about to do this. At that point... From that day, you guys, until now, and every day has not been Sunday, mm-hmm. I am not perfect <laughs> at all. Like, I still, you know, have things that I struggle with, mm-hmm. but I have been striving perf- for perfection. Mm-hmm. You know, I have been striving to do the best that I can do mm-hmm. as a person and to help others. I have never went back. I have never, you know, turned around mm-hmm. or anything like that. And shortly after that, my husband now came to me. He was like, the Lord told me you was my wife. <laughs> and I was like, you legit crazy. Like, <laughs> something is wrong with you. Like, leave me alone, you know. And ever since then, I want to say we started dating again for three months. Mm-hmm. That December, he proposed to me. We went through marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. In February of 2009, we've been married. We, we got married. Um, it wasn't a big wedding at all, a small ceremony. We got married, and ten year, it'll be 10 years this February coming up wow. that we've been married. Um, and, again, every day is not Sunday. Yes. Some days I don't like him, and some days he don't like yeah. me. But communication, God, and respect, I've never had a problem with infidelity because, you know, I told him before I got married, listen, I'm not getting married to play married. Yes. We not about to, you know, if you want to cheat on me, just leave. Because that's something that I, as a person, cannot deal with at this point. Like, I told the Lord, like, and the Lord actually told me he was my husband. I was in service one day, and I heard it clear as day. I was like, that's your husband. And I was looking around. I was like, y'all, I'm just going crazy. These people done got in my mind. <laughs> I am I'm losing it. But, you know, it was like he was a knight in shining armor. And, again, every day is not Sunday, but communication acknowledging god and just respect goes a long way in marriage and we now have five kids we now have five kids um my son fathers respect him and vice versa Um, my in-laws are a big help to me as well they help out with the kids but it has been it has been a blessing to be able to share and to tell people that no matter where you come from, mm-hmm. no matter what you go through, you do not have to settle. And that's what I that's what I tell everybody. And now I work with kids. Um, mm-hmm. I actually keep small babies, and they're our next generation. So I try to instill in them at a very early age. You can be whatever you want to be. As long as you put your mind to it, put God first, you know, acknowledge him, you can be whatever you want to be. And everybody that I come across, if they ask me something and I know, I'm telling you. Yes. I don't care what it is. And if I don't know, I'm going to try to find out and I'm going to try to help you. You know, and I'm a real person. You know, sometimes when we get into ministry, some people are just so spiritual to they're just no earthly good Mm -hmm. but when people see me they see something different they see you know she's a real live person like she has a sense of humor you know she's been through a lot 
but she really does, you know, try and she really does love God and she's really an example. And, you know, even sometimes when life get hard now, mm-hmm. I keep in mind that people are watching you. Yes. You can affect somebody else's life. Yes. You can be a good example or you can be a bad example. Which one do you want to do? You cannot go around telling everybody that this is what they can do and this is what they shouldn't do. And then when you're faced with the same thing, you do it. So that keeps me grounded. The fear of God really keeps me grounded, you guys. And and my kids, they hold me accountable. My oldest son is 13. He grew up so fast. Mm-hmm. It's such a blessing to even be able to provide for them. Yes. And he always say, Mom, what you no Christian folk don't do that. He be joking. <laughs> holding that money like that Christian Christian folk don't do that (laughs) and you know certain things they do and I love it because they talk to me you guys Mm -hmm. they tell me real life situations that they're going through in school Mm -hmm. and as parents older parents your first response is why you doing that no you can't do that Mm -hmm. but I guide them you know they know right from wrong I tell them right from wrong and I try to give them positive ways to handle situations even my oldest daughter you know I explain to them mom had y'all I was pregnant at this age you know this is what happened and the only way the only reason I got out the way I did was God Don't put yourself in that position. Don't do that. This is why. And they'll come home and they'll tell me about, you know, things that happen. And I'm just so grateful to have that communication with them. They respect me enough to tell me, but they also respect me enough to know that mom is crazy. She will come up to the school (laughs) and she will embarrass us. You know, and if you do something, be honest. Tell me. Because if you're not honest with me and I got to go sit in front of a teacher, we're going to have some problems. We're going to have major problems. Don't lie to me. So, you know, that I find it really encouraging. And even them talking to people, their friends want to talk to me and want to be around me and come to my house. Like, they call me Titi. Titi House is just the place to be, you guys. It's just the place to be. So, I really do enjoy where I am now. And, again, I still go through struggles Mm -hmm. now financially, even with the husband. I Mm -hmm. tell people all the time. I had my own, I love my husband to death, but I had my own before him now. Yes, yes. I had my own before him. You know, but even now, when we first got married, my husband was making $9 an hour, mm-hmm. $10 an hour, and I was making like 8 But, you know, over the years with growth and communication and pushing each other, now we make money. You know, we're not rich yet, but we make money and we live a comfortable life, and we're not trying to live with outside of our means, you know, and things of that nature, so... Awesome. That is that. That was like a beautiful testimony. Thank you. That was a beautiful story. I know you said that um, you had your first child at thirteen. I was thirteen, 13. and I turned fourteen. Okay, right so before you were thirteen, fourteen. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have any goals before becoming a mother that were hindered after becoming a mother? I was in such a dark space before I became a mother to I will honestly say I cannot remember any goals that I had in place because I felt like, you guys, that I just would not live to see past 15 at the time because I felt like, you know, if this is how life is, as horrible as it was, as I thought it was in my mind, I was like, I just bunk it. Like, I do not want to live like this. That was something that I did not want to do. I did not want to be 50 years old on the corner asking for money or 50 years old, you know, 
not having nothing to show for my life. So I did not have any goals before that. Mm-hmm. My kids, they push me mm-hmm. to want better. And not for me, but for them. That's awesome. How did you like cope with the difficulties of being so young and raising children? At the time, I really would say the way I was coping back then was horrible. Like, my motivation was them. But day to day, it was like, I got to do better for them. Mm -hmm. Like, I just got to push. I got to push through this. I got to, I have to push through this for them. Mm -hmm. And coping back then was drugs Mm -hmm. and alcohol. That's how I coped. Like, I would be, I was a, a functioning alcoholic. Woke up, go to sleep, drunk. Mm-hmm. I had a job at Old Time Trolley, and because I wore a uniform, everybody assumed that I was of age to drink. So mm-hmm. I would go to the bars and I would oh, drink. Wow. Yeah, I used to go to sleep smoking weed and wake up. I had them pre-rolled in a bag ready for like a pack of cigarettes. Oh, really? Ready for the next day. Oh, wow. My kids' uncle say, girl, you roll a blunt better than... A man any day, hands down. Like, that was my smoking partner. Like, I love him to death. Wow. And, like, what would you tell a teenage girl who is considering becoming a mother at a young age? I would say definitely wait. Because you have so much to grow and so much to learn and just life to enjoy. And not just that. When you have teenage pregnancy you're not married you also have to think about blended families because I've been fortunate to have the help but I see so many girls who do not so you have to take into consideration even marriage when you marry somebody they not only marry you but they're marrying your children you know that's a lot on a man you know men don't they don't always speak up and they don't always say how you know much of a responsibility it is but even for my husband you know i respect him just for that you know because although i had help from the grandparents he still has to raise them ultimately it's his income that takes care of us you know so getting married i mean having teenage pregnancy not only was I struggle, I was struggling as a young mother, but going into marriage, I took three kids into marriage. A man who had no kids mm-hmm. took on my three kids. That's three, three kids. That's three kids, you guys. Yeah, at the age of twenty, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's twenty, and he's twenty now, twenty years old, and against everybody telling him, do not marry her because she has three kids. And they came out the woodworks, y'all. Mm-hmm. Do not marry this girl. She's trash. She's a whore. She's nasty. Mm-hmm. Don't you don't you do you gonna mess up your life. Against all of that, he still was pushing and he still married me. Absolutely. And that's why in my mind I was like, You're crazy. You know, something is why would you do this? And he was so so passionate about my kids he was just like I love all y'all I love them you know I love you and I and that's why I tell a lot of people I have so much respect for my husband for that alone and when he took them in even now it's never been stepdad this stepdad that because my kids were very young so when they grew up I didn't force them to call him dad 
that's all they saw. Mm-hmm. So it was automatically dad, you know, mm-hmm. and even my oldest son and my girls, they're daddy this and daddy that and their bond and their relationship, you guys is just phenomenal. You know, and I do not keep them away from their biological father. They go see him with their grandparents and they tell me, you know, we was blessed, we got two dads. Yes. We was we was we got two dads, mom, and that's how they leave it, you know, and even my oldest son, I asked him, Do you wanna know about his father because he's he's deceased. He got uh-huh. killed at seventeen. He got shot in the head. Um, at seventeen, my oldest son, so the the uh the first first baby daddy. He is he's been deceased since Oh, wow. Since he was, what well, when he was 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and my oldest son, he has brothers and sisters out there. So mm-hmm. he's, he go, he's, he met the brother years ago and he's like, mom. And I was like, when you want to know, I'm here. We can talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not something that I keep from them. I'm not that parent to say, this is my husband and that's that and that's it. I don't like that because the kids didn't ask to be here. Mm-hmm. You know, and for a teenage parent in this generation, it's so much immaturity I would say because it's like they use kids as leverage and that's not fair to a father Mm -hmm. and and you know me as a female I say it's not fair because I see it all the time because they they there are good fathers out there that want to see their kids Mm -hmm. but because a female is bitter mad and hurt she does not want them, and she uses that as leverage. Oh, you don't want to be with me? You can't see your kids, or you can't do this. And, you know, it's vice versa, but I see it a lot. And then women try to play victim a lot, but that's not always the case. It's men out here that want to see their kids, and as a mother, as a woman, you should never keep a child from their kids. Even me, in my hurt, I would never, because he was a horrible boyfriend. But he was a great father. You know, even now, he's involved in his kid's life, you know. And even going in with my husband, you know, I know you you guys, we're going to respect my husband. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's, we're going to respect him. But I also told my husband, babe, I had kids before you married me. So they have a dad. You know, and he understood that from day one. Of course, a man first instance is, whatever. (laughs) <laughs> but it is what it is and teenage pregnancy is not it's not fun it's not something that I encourage you know life happens but if you have somebody telling you not to do something listen it's a lot of consequences out there and it is not about you and it's not about the dad it's about that child whatever is best for that child and I don't care what a man does if he has a safe environment for that child. You know, even if he's not paying child's, I hear I hear all kinds of story. He don't. It doesn't matter. Let that child have a relationship with her or his father. Yes. Period. You know, if it's a safe environment, of course. If he's not gonna harm that child, let him. Let him. Yes, most definitely. Um, I know when we talk, you say you um there was sickness with your daughter, and she was given three months yes to live my oldest daughter your oldest daughter can you tell us a little bit about she that? was diagnosed with epilepsy um at around four to five years old and she had a seizure she was she was with my mom and i was at work and they rushed her to the emergency room well they said well that happens in kids she didn't have a seizure again until two weeks later two weeks later the seizures were five and ten minutes and they were coming rapidly so we had to rush her to the emergency room um at the time they said that my husband made too much 
And they took them off of Medicaid because they said that my husband made too much, but I tried to explain to him that that's not his biological child and my daughter is sick. So we racked up a lot of medical bills with that. And when I took her to the neurologist, they told me, I was asking them, I just remember back and forth to the hospital, back and forth to the hospital. Every medication that they put her on, none of it worked. Mm. Nothing worked Mm. at all. They gave me one for her one time. It was a um, sedative. It sedated my daughter on a day-to-day basis is what they gave me to give to her. Mm. And when I gave it to her, she was lifeless. She could not walk. And at this time, I think she was seven. This was a span of two to three years. She was seven. She could not walk. And at this time, I'm in Christ. So I'm just like, okay, God, your word said that by your stripes, we are healed. So, you know, I don't care what it looked like. And it got hard. It Mm -hmm. did. It got hard for me to believe that, you know, my baby was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And my husband, he's in ministry as well. He just kept telling me that she's going to be okay. He prayed with me. He prayed for her. We prayed together. You know, my leaders, we prayed. And one day a prophetess came in and she said, you know, God is going to heal her. Mm -hmm. And... What the devil meant for your bad, God is going to turn around for your good. She's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And after that, my baby went into the hospital. She was in the hospital for a span, I think, of a week. Mm -hmm. And when the neurologist came in, they said there is nothing else that we can do for her. They did this, the CAT scan and saw all of the seizure activity on her brain. They gave me a letter and told me that she had three to six months to live, but that the end result of that would have been death. That hit me hard. Mm. I walked out the room. I was outside the hospital. I know everybody thought I was crazy because I was in the parking lot having a whole conversation with God. Like, God, okay, you told me. This is what you said. This is what, you know, I've done this and I've done that. Like, I need you and I need you now. And, you know, as I cried that night and as I prayed and as I prayed, a peace came over me. And the, the very next day, they they released her from the hospital. We went home. It did not get better. It was still, you know, she was very sick. She was seasoned, and she was pooping on herself. And at this time, I think she was around eight or nine. So my daughter is getting older now, and this is still happening. And I stopped giving her the medication because I'm not going to sedate my daughter. She's she's not walking. She's not feeding herself. She's not doing anything. You know, and that was a battle because I have everybody telling me, you know, if the doctor gave her this and the doctor gave her that, you got to give her this. And, you know, and I understood that. And I believe in medicine and all of that. But something in me was not, I I just wasn't hearing it. Something inside of me was saying, no, don't give it to her. And I didn't. So um, it was a revival one day and I took her and she got prayer over. She got prayed over and I was applying for Social Security as well. They kept denying me. They kept denying me because I was going to try to take her to Charleston to see if I can get her better help there. They kept denying me. One day, um, my pastor and his wife came over to my house and they were telling me they were just like, you know, God is going to heal her like. God is going to heal her, period. Like, that's all they would say to me. And I just kept wondering, like, why would I have to go through this? Why Why does my baby have to go through this? I'm a believer. I'm in Christ. I'm doing this. This is not how it's supposed to be. But that's not so because we, we're going to be tested. Like I say, every day is not Sunday. We're going to be tested. And all I can remember is, you know, I never, ever, ever cursed God. I was always just like, I'm going to trust you. I believe, but help my unbelief because it's hard. And I don't understand this, but you got it. So um, they told me that once, this is what they told me, and I thought it was so crazy, real life. 
They said once they approved, because my pastor kept telling me to reapply for Social Security, and I kept telling him I'm not going back down there mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> People getting on my, I don't apply three times. They're not giving it to me, sir. And he was just like, no, go keep applying. They're going to give it to you. They're going to, she's going to get the insurance. And my main thing was the insurance yes. because with Social Security, it's Medicaid, mm-hmm. Medicare. They can't cut it off. So once she, um, they said once you, once you get that, she's going to be healed. So I'm looking real crazy, like, yeah, okay, all right. So I went and I reapplied. I got a court date this time. Mm-hmm. When I got the court date this time, my first lady went with me. We went to the place where they were having the hearing, and my pastor and first lady came to my house that evening around 10 o'clock at night, and they were just, they sat on my couch. They just came over, and they were just like, okay, court is tomorrow. Everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. I walked into the courtroom, and me and my first lady were holding my daughter up because she's on the medication, so we're mm-hmm. walking her in. And before I can even sit down, you know what the judge said to me? He said, what's your name? I said, Letitia Morris. He said, you're here with Jayana. Right. I said, yes, sir. He said, I got your paperwork. 10 o'clock last night. You're approved. Y'all have a nice day. Mm. I did not even get to sit down. They said, ma'am, they'll be paying you from the first time you applied up until now. That was a $25,000 check. Plus Medicaid until she's 18, no matter how much me and my husband makes. Mm. But, God. Do you know, ever since that day, real life, my daughter has never had a seizure again. She has never been on the medication ever again. Mm. And she will be 13 in December. From pain to purpose. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes, and this is real life, you guys. And when I talk to people, I'm just like, you guys, I've, I've seen this. Like, nobody could have done this. But God, like it sounds crazy, but it happened, and re- I, I lived that. And that for me was like, I don't care if the sky is red. If God says it's about to turn blue, it's gonna be blue. Period. Like <laughs> that's just what I believe. So that was a scary time. But God, you know, He is a keeper of His word. He really yes, is. He is. Yes, He is. Well, I thank you so much. No problem for coming on the show and just having the courage to share your story and help encourage those, you know, out there who's going through some things that you went through, maybe even worse. But just to know that through your pain, God has a purpose. And I just would like to thank you, thank you, thank, thank you, you, and I love you. I love that from pain to purpose. Thank when you. I saw you, and I, I, I felt that that is that is real life. Like yes. I love that. Like thank you so from pain much. to purpose. That is so true because if I could redo it over again, I would not change a thing mm. because it has made me and molded me to be the woman that I am today. And just for that alone, I am so grateful. Yes. My mindset compared to somebody else's mindset my age, when I look at it, it's so, I'm only 28 years old. Shut up. I'm only 28. I just turned 28 this year. Wow. I feel like a grandmama and an old and a young person, like, for real. Like, I am so grateful for all the life trials that I had to go through that has brought me to this point because I can help somebody else. Yes. And it's not just one incident, but it's multiple. And when you talk to people these days, they don't want to hear what you think. They want to hear what you know. And I just I just thank God for that. Yes, I thank God for you. Thank you. <laughs> Until next time, 
From Pain to Purpose with Asia Monique. Until next time, From Pain to Purpose podcast with Asia Monique. You can find me on Facebook at Asia Monique. And you can also find me on Instagram at underscore Asia, A-I-S-H-A underscore Monique, M-O-N-I-Q-U-E.